Welcome to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the show where we watch, review, and discuss every horror movie on Netflix. My name's Chris. I'm here with my friends Patrick. Hi, Chris. And Steven. Hi, Chris and Patrick. And we watch every horror movie on Netflix from A to Z for the most part, except for today, because we're going way off track today. We're going down to the V's for Valentine's Day. Yeah. Which was like how many weeks ago? Several weeks ago. A lot. We record these in advance, it's guys. Like, it's like closer to V Day than Valentine's Day. <laughs> um, yeah, we're we're doing Velvet Buzzsaw today. Velvet Buzzsaw, the new Netflix original from Dan Gilroy. I think right? that's his name, Dan, Dan Gilroy, Gilroy of mm-hmm. Nightcrawler fame. Nightcrawler fame now, or infamy. So I mean, this is Chris. this is a top tier Netflix original release. This is like this is the shit that they it's promote. It's prestige. It's got tons of names behind it. It's got the trailers that you see on Facebook before you see the movie. It's it's not like some obscure movie like Clinical that just kind of came out low-key. It's a real movie with a real marketing push. This is a movie they want you to subscribe to Netflix, or at least not cancel your Netflix subscription, because you want to see this this film, this, this epic. Yeah, if you remember Mute, it's kind of on that level. Yeah, I meant to watch Mute. I'm I never kidding. did. <laughs> I'm already disparaging this is, movie. That is an odd comparison. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Nightcrawler... I loaned Steven on Blu-ray. But still haven't watched still it. Still hasn't watched it. That was like a year ago. Um, I, Patrick watched it a long time ago. I saw it ago. in theaters. You saw it in theaters. How many theaters did you see it in? Um, either four or five. I okay. forget. Wow, you must have really liked that wow. one. Yeah. No, I, no, simultaneously. I just watched it the one time, but I experienced it in four or five theaters. Screen crawler. Yes. That's call you. Yeah. <laughs> I... Uh, Watched I was Netflix. teleporting between theaters like Nightcrawler from the X Men. Oh. Actually, I saw that happen. It was just bam, bam, bam. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, I was. I watched it on Netflix. I was disappointed that it wasn't about Nightcrawler from the X Men. I would um, love to see a Nightcrawler movie with Alan Cumming. That would be fucking sick. Where is Alan Cumming these days? Good question. I wish he was here. Alan Cumming, if you're listening to this, please come on our I next like I episode. I saw him on something recently. He hey, I'm talking to a- Alan Cumming here. Shut the fuck up. He has a perfume <laughs> in a bar. The perfume, I believe, is called Second Coming. Oh wow! Yeah, wow. and the bar has a similarly cheeky name, huh? Wasn't he in a movie we watched on Netflix? I don't think so. Maybe I just hallucinated it. Um, but I I was not a fan of of Nightcrawler. Really, uh, Patrick and I we can agree to disagree on that. So I I went into this movie with a lot of reservations. Or can we? Even though I disagree to disagree <laughs> with you, <laughs> this is another movie I was prejudiced against going into it because I saw the trailer. Usually, I don't watch trailers, but oh, that's I right. The I sent you the trailer. I was, I was like, "This looks fucking crazy." You got to watch it, and you were like, "Fuck this!" I thought it looked obnoxious, and the way they cut the trailer left me with the impression that it was like American Psycho fan fiction or something. Like it seemed to really be playing up that kind of quirkiness and portraying Jake Gyllenhaal as like that kind of uh, Christian Bale character from American Psycho, which he's really not in the movie. So I went into this movie prejudiced. Is what I'm trying to say. Mm. Velvet Buzzsaw. Mm. But I was actually pleasantly surprised. Um, whereas Nightcrawler, 
took us into the world of uh, news videography, which I thought was interesting, working in video. This movie takes us into the CD world of art, which is something I know none of, nothing about. Art and art criticism. I know about Art the Clown, <laughs> but that's not the kind of art we're talking about. Yeah, so, I mean, it's this movie's really hard to describe because tonally it's all over the map, but I would say... I think it's pretty safe to call it an art world satire. Yeah. A horror-flavored art world satire. Loosely, but I can't tell if the art world... I can't tell how the art world was being satirized. Like, I feel like the depiction of the art world was fairly straight. Straight? Yeah. Are you shitting me? This is so over the top. It's so over the top. What's over the top? Just the way everyone talks and acts, and... That might not be that inaccurate, but I do think that these characters are still meant to be sort of over-the-top stereotypes. It's really hard for me to tell, because I know this movie could have been set on Venus, as far as I'm concerned. Venus? Like, that's how disconnected I feel I am from, like, the world of, like, people who deal art. I mean, our lead character's name is fucking Morph, M-O-R-F. What's his fucking last name? Everyone's name in this is ridiculous. Like, it's all so over the top. Is the art world not like that? I mean, certainly, yes. I don't know. But, I mean, he's he's poking fun at it by, you know, heightening and exaggerating elements that are already there, which, I mean, is kind of the definition of satire. Yeah, sure. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I definitely... I, I, the thought crossed my mind that this was a satire, but I was like, I don't know. Are they really exaggerating that much? I don't know. I just simply don't know enough about art I, to answer that question. I mean, you know, not that I'm deeply... That I am or have been deeply involved in, uh, you know, like the high art, art show, art criticism kind of world. But, I mean, I think it's certainly true that there are a lot of people who take themselves very seriously point of pretension as a lot of people in this movie do i think it's certainly a very cutthroat industry right um i mean i think those are kind of the two main elements that gilroy's attempting to expose slash poke fun at but i'm wondering if maybe the art world is over the top enough in reality that it's hard to satirize and that maybe this is kind of just playing it straight yet also for comedy i don't know I don't even know if it works very well as a comedy. I don't recall laughing during I this movie. I laughed a lot. I thought I it was laughed. hilarious. I laughed at something. I forget what it was, but I, I actually laughed out loud. Just the names and little zingers. And I mean, just the way like Hall will look at people sometimes, just that little like kind of sniffy look he'll give people, I thought was fucking hilarious. Let's, I mean, we need to actually explain what the fuck this movie is about at some point, but I want to just jump into praising Jake Gyllenhaal right now. One of the most underrated actors out there when he's being subtle, when he's given giving an actual performance, he doesn't do it in a showy way. I'm thinking like Brokeback Mountain or something like that. Um, And when he goes over the top, he goes over the top, like in Nightcrawler and Velvet Buzzsaw. And you can tell he's just having fun. He's not trying to attract attention. Well, he's not trying to attract like awards attention to himself. I just, I, I like that he, he's underrated as a character actor um, when he's doing subtle stuff. And when he's going over the top, you know it. He's not going for the award, which I appreciate. Love that guy. And love him in this. So the premise of Velvet Buzzsaw is... Obviously, it's set in the world of art. We meet 
it, it's kind of an ensemble cast. Like Jake Gyllenhaal is top billing, but he's on screen probably not much more than any of the other lead characters. Tony Collette. Um, Rene Russo, yeah. John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. Yep, just bringing back the 90s the thriller Diggs. roster, which uh-huh. is the one, you know, I may not like his movies, but I do like how Dan Gilroy keeps casting Rene Russo because I'm a fan of her from the 90s thriller days. Um, I think she was in In the Line of Fire, right? No idea. Good to see her, especially how, like, in Nightcrawler, she was kind of cast as, like, a romantic lead opposite Jake Gyllenhaal, which was kind of atypical for for Hollywood, but that movie was uh, kind of inverted a lot of stuff. So you have all these art dealers, and one of them, kind of a young, aspiring one, happens across an apartment in her building full of, uh, well, her neighbor has died and left behind an apartment full of uh, kind of like outsider art. Outsider art is yeah. how they describe it. I don't really know what that means. Well, he's not like a classically trained artist. He's kind of developed his own style he's not and known. method. He doesn't, I don't think he's ever had an exhibition. No. He just paints these things, rolls them up, and keeps them in piles around his cluttered apartment. And he was actually in the process of destroying his artwork when he died unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. And he left behind instructions that it all be destroyed. But uh, this woman recovers it because she's like this is good stuff and it takes the art world by storm well she's also gotten kind of fucked over by her her boyfriend or lover right so she's kind of down and out when this happens and she finally like sees an opportunity to stay connected to the art world and sell these things yeah that's her motive. she's trying to make it and she's been shit on a couple different ways so she she takes a chance on this stuff Everyone loves it. Takes the art world by storm. Everyone's in love with the aesthetic. Never mind that the paintings are like occasionally uh, kind of eerie, and and uh, weird weird things begin to happen. And we start to get the sense that these movies maybe or that these posters maybe. <laughs> <laughs> We start to get the sense that these paintings maybe are uh, are channeling some kind of a malevolent force or spirit. That, that they may have or, a life of their that own. That they may have a life of their own. That they may be connected to the uh, troubled life of the man who painted them. And at the center of the plot, our sort of protagonist is Jake Gyllenhaal's character, who is this fascinating to me character in that he's... Uh, an art critic who is sort of like a kingmaker. Everyone's really worried about whether he's going to give them a good review or not. I think it may have artificially influenced my opinion of this movie, just the fact that a movie made in 2019 would portray anyone as giving a fuck what a traditional journalist has to say. And I say that Mm -hmm. as a journalist, but I don't feel like anyone actually cares that much. I don't think an art critic has this kingmaker sort of power that Gyllenhaal is depicted to have in this movie, but maybe. I well, this, this movie doesn't seem to hold critics in very high regard, so... This movie holds just about no one in if, high regard. If it had its way, the Every Horror Movie on Netflix podcast, we would all die horrible deaths, basically. <laughs> <laughs> we, are, we are kind of the people that this, that this film... Uh, are we? I don't know. It's specifically talking so. about the art world and specifically talking about this guy who is in sort of an institutional position of power and more or less abuses that position to please his own ego. Oh, yeah, actually, I guess they are talking about us. (laughs) Just kidding. Everyone knows we have no power. (laughs) (laughs) 
so I've been spending a lot of time thinking about what this movie is is trying to say. I mean, I watched it last night, so not a ton of time, but um, <laughs> I, it's, it's kind of left me with a lot of questions about what this movie is trying to say about art and the art world. And at first glance, it seems pretty straightforward that basically the movie is kind of uh, pushing back against what it sees as a very commercial cutthroat mercenary mercenary art industry that's disconnected from everything that art is supposed to stand for and there's some counterpoints to that where it's like you know if you're still making art you know because you love it and you're you know blah 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 then you're good otherwise i guess the the vengeful spirit of mr d's d-e-a-s-e the man who painted all these paintings uh might come fuck you up yeah, what's it? Ventral? Is that his first name? Ventral? Something like that. Ventral D's, I think. In- incredible character names in this movie. Love that. Yeah. So you're saying you're, you're kind of puzzling over this film's themes. You're not sure what it had to say. Is that what you're trying to tell me? What I just said, I think, is the easiest interpretation of what it had to say, but I feel like there's more to it than that. It's a movie kind of like Cam, where I think there's a lot of layers to it that I haven't really been able to pull mm. back yet. That's interesting because... When I finished it, and I mean still my take on it overall is that if I have a complaint with it, it's that it's too simple. Like the It's I- way too broad. The yeah. idea, the basic idea it's trying to communicate as far as like the art world is communicating in the first scene, which is hilarious. It, it inter- and that scene is also very economical. It introduces all the main characters more or less in that first scene. Which is, um, it's an art gallery. It's yeah. an art exhibition. It's a, a show in yeah. Miami. And you immediately get a sense of how these people talk to each other, how bitchy they are to each other, how competitive they are, how cutthroat they are. And in my mind, it never develops past that, mm. which isn't too much of a strike against it because I was still extremely entertained throughout. But I, I mean, it's a one idea movie and it doesn't really, that, that idea doesn't really develop. It's, it's actually, I mean, I don't think it's successful as a horror film. I don't think the horror elements work, but it does have kind of the same structure as like, like an 80s teen slasher. It essentially Mm. sets up this like fairly, I mean, we're not Mm. totally confined to the convention, but it sets up a string of characters Mm. who are despicable, who Mm. you would love to see die horrible deaths. Mm. And that's exactly what we get. Wow. Hmm. I like that interpretation a lot. But I don't think the characters are really, like you said, developed beyond that. You know, we find out that they are competitive, pretentious, terrible to each other, and that's it. I don't, I don't think anyone really grows or learns a lesson in this film. Mm -mm. That's a that's a good point. I think Jake Gyllenhaal ultimately learns a lesson, but I'm not sure it really matters. Yeah, I mean, I guess he starts to learn, but it's kind of too late. (laughs) Something I liked about this is. Just looking at all the art that's in this movie. I love the paintings. I love Deese's paintings. I don't know who did them, but they're weird and spooky and unsettling in subtle and sometimes not so subtle ways. I really enjoyed all the paintings. There are a lot of really interesting installations, though. Like there's um, a, a robot homeless superhero. Yeah. Hobo Man Hobo is my Man. favorite. Yeah, yeah. There's um, that giant chrome orb the, the that sphere. the sphere turns into. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's always fun to look at art. Like I, I was, this reminded me actually of one of our earliest episodes when we watched Hashtag Horror, where the character in that, the character, the, the Chloe Savigny character in Hashtag Horror would fit right in oh, yeah. with this cast. And, and she's in every movie, so I'm kind of surprised she's not in this. <laughs> yeah, and she's she's into art in that movie in her house. You know, we talked on that episode ages ago about how there was like fun art just kind of hanging around the house, like oh, yeah. art that's made for a film, like to entertain us is 
kind of more fun than art that's made for art's sake like you actually would see in a museum like i don't know if there's anyone out there who's actually making a like a patriotic homeless man caricature robot that talks to people oh i mean as part of a art installation maybe that's a real thing there's shit like that i mean it's not far from the truth it's hilarious on the screen yeah um and a lot of the art was just it's funny to say how look that's that's a funny idea even if it's something that artists might not actually make i mean in the case of hashtag horror it was probably art that someone bought to decorate the set like it probably wasn't custom made for the film but i'm sure like the sphere and the hobo man and whatever were definitely written into the script and designed for this film and what's fun is, and if you've seen the trailer, you, I mean, it gives away pretty much everything, but you, it, what's fun is seeing these weird pieces of art turn malevolent and mm-hmm. attack people or injure them mm-hmm. as Deez's paintings become uh, proliferated throughout the art scene. And, and the idea is that like Deez's paintings kind of exert a force where it's not like the Deez's paintings themselves that are killing people, but it's kind of creating like a final destination effect to to mention the movies used to we're talking about in the last episode and it's kind of like making other arts kill people kind of kind of the innocent bystander art is being weaponized by the influence of the d's paintings yeah i mean this is i think the first kill the first art kill in the movie so we might as well talk about it but it reminds me of when this one kind of douchebaggy character is is attempting to make off with a bunch of the d's paintings actually he's not trying to make off no they're being transported to a storage facility but doesn't he's planning to like steal them isn't he no i don't think so i didn't gather that i didn't get you might be right but i didn't get that that was my impression was he was like oh people are going nuts for these they're worth a shit ton i'm taking these I mean, it doesn't matter. One of the paintings is sitting on the like passenger seat of his car and like the face in it starts to kind of move and it lights him on fire. He stops at a gas station and runs inside and there's this bizarre painting on the wall of it's monkeys working on a car, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the monkeys in the painting come to life and you just see these like primate hands reach out of the frame and grab him and drag him into the frame. It's so, I mean, it's silly. It's silly, but I loved it. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I love those I might moments, even call it but dumb, but I loved it. It's dumb. I think most of the kills in this are pretty dumb, but they're memorable and oh, they, yeah. they don't really fit into the film at all. I mean, that's what I was saying at the top. This movie is so tonally inconsistent in a way that I enjoyed. I didn't think it was a great film by any means, but I was never bored. I watched this movie in one sitting. Guys. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is impressive. How did you find it tonally inconsistent though? I, I found it very Because consistent. it goes from like broad sort of like broad comedy or satire in these like very brightly lit settings to these like random flashes of horror that just seemed like dropped in out of nowhere as if they came from another film so basically there are just two key tones that are juxtaposed i mean that's what i like about it is that it mashes together this art world satire with slasher movie i mean that i mean that's not total inconsistent i mean i guess it's inconsistency but that's basically the point i guess when i think tonal inconsistency i think someone who doesn't have a grasp on what they're doing and so they're kind of like flailing around going from something that feels comic to something that feels dramatic to something that feels horror tinged this felt very intentional it did feel intentional i I just those two moods never of those moods i don't think he's i mean that actually brings up a good point because a lot of people will criticize movies for being quote-unquote tonally inconsistent 
and including us like well yeah like us but as if it's a bad thing in itself and it's really not it's just a matter of how the movie handles the tonal changes mm-hmm. i'm kind of on team patrick here for once <laughs> where um i i thought i didn't think there was any problem with the movie kind of going back and forth between the horror stuff and the comedy stuff didn't work for steven but i would much rather this had been either like an altman style ensemble satire or a horror movie, but I just felt like those two, I don't know, those two styles never really blended for me. I admire the, I admire the attempt because I don't think I've seen a movie quite like this before. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I wouldn't want to see either of the two you just described because I've seen those kind of movies before and I, can't say i've ever seen anything quite like velvet well, buzzsaw before like i said i don't think this movie was trying to be american psycho but american psycho is a movie that does the same kind of thing where it alternates between like a comedy satire and more horror type stuff it's been a long time since i saw american psycho though you're you're right though yeah. and i'm not a fan of american psycho either me neither <laughs> i like american psycho I, I feel like it's pretty totally consistent i don't know i feel like that's a it's uh what's that term the something's hand when what? you like take a tangent uh, something's hand which is hand or something. snake's hand <laughs> snake's hand there you go snake's hand they haven't heard yeah, that before to, to but quote the great john crowley yeah uh but i really enjoy just the look again knowing nothing about the professional art world and kind of taking this at face value largely on the strength of one random tweet i saw that said i used to work in the art world and velvet buzzsaw is very accurate but also boring or something <laughs> like that how could you be bored like, by this movie i don't know like i, I kind of <laughs> took what it was showing me of the i mean if you weren't bored i know it. right <laughs> i kind of i kind of took what it was showing me of the art world at face value so i don't know if that was a mistake or not but i thought it was very fascinating just to it was almost like a documentary for me. Like, I'm like, oh, is this how this really works? Is this how these kind of things yeah. happen? There's a lot of roles I never would have thought of, yeah. like, behind the scenes. I mean, because you have, like, like the people who, like, book and decorate the venues are completely different from the people who book the artists and represent the artists themselves. Mm-hmm. And the little details of like how they, when they put the sphere in a new exhibit and they're like being very particular about if the lights around the sphere are set up properly mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And that was very interesting. And also like when you go to a museum of art and you go to a new exhibit, you don't like appreciate that there's like a political side to it. And we see some of that where like um, Tony Collette's character comes in as like strong arming the LA museum of art kind of to like highlight the pieces that she wants to expose and all this stuff. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I'm sure that happens, but it's not something you think about. Mm -hmm. I mean, it probably happens in the modern art museums a little more than it happens in the, you know, European Renaissance paintings uh, exhibit. Those may be even more cutthroat. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. Maybe there's like a guy who has a huge collection of Van Goghs, and and he goes around and he he you know whips these museums into doing more things with Van Gogh to raise the price of his collection. It could be. I don't know. Fascinating though. I feel like I know a person or two who has worked at a museum who I should ask about this. Yeah, we should have had him on the cast. Should have. Yeah, we fucked up big time. Sorry, I'll do better. I would have been happy with a movie that just showed me that like just a satire in that. And then you add the horror. I'm always down to add a little horror to a movie. Why not? <laughs> like, I feel like this movie could have easily been made where it's like spooky paintings, but they don't kill people. And it would have been a similar movie and it would have been fine, but I would have watched it and been like, what if the spooky paintings kill people? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. So we That's, get that. It's movie. a very crisp twist. Yeah, we get that movie. <laughs> yeah. So that was fun. 
Yeah. It's a fun movie. Also, I texted Patrick, and I was very pleased that Stephen Williams from the X-Files oh, yes. makes like a cameo appearance as the janitor in the uh, VA hospital where yeah. Dee's used to work. Yeah, Morph is a- like going into private investigator mode, and he goes to find things out about D's find runs into X. He runs into X. Yeah. Playing a character very unlike X. Yeah. But can't have everything. Always good to see Stephen um, Williams. Always good to see. I always like movies that, that I mean, I didn't recognize him until you texted yeah. me and you were like, X is in this and I was like, oh fuck. I uh it's always good to see a movie that adds a little bit of mystery. I like mystery in my movies. That's why Star Wars episode two is my favorite. Because <laughs> they got the mystery in that one. Um anyway Jake Gyllenhaal is ripped, we find out. Did not know he was ripped. Yeah, he was pretty ripped. He's ripped, but he can't stay hard. (laughs) Well, okay, so that's interesting, because Jake Gyllenhaal in this movie, maybe, I might be forgetting something obvious, but maybe the first time I've seen a character in a movie who is bisexual, seemingly, and actually has, like, pretty concrete and meaningful relationships with a man and a woman in the movie mm. you know what i'm saying yeah like, usually that was kind of that was kind of refreshing usually mm. i see quote-unquote bisexual characters who it's like more of an experimental thing or it's like more of a hookup thing and so that was something i yeah. just hadn't seen yeah, before you're saying because the movie starts and you think i thought he was gay because he's he's living with a man and clearly in a relationship with a man and then he starts seeing a woman and you're like okay well is he just hooking up with it well no he ends up having a relationship with her that's that's maybe more emotionally important than the relationship with the man mm-hmm. well it's and also balanced. based on the trailer and also based on your early understanding of him in the film you kind of assume that he's gay based on some of the effeminate um mannerisms that Hall sort of bakes into the character and you assume that he's going to be kind of a stereotypical gay character and i guess i appreciated that it went beyond that. I mean, even though this character remains pretty fucking cartoonish, regardless of his sexuality, like I still appreciate that they didn't just go for the stereotypical arch quippy gay art world stereotype that you might jump to. Yeah. So it's a simple movie, pretty simple uh, premise. I think, I think we've kind of uh, hit the, the key, key points and the meat of what we can get into without starting to spoil things too much. So, um, Final thoughts before we go to the spoiler room. Patrick, would you view it, cue it, or screw it? Velvet Buzzsaw, what say you? I would definitely go view it. I view had, it? Oh, yeah. I had a lot of fun with this movie. It's visually striking. It's well acted, um, entertaining. You know, as I said before, a little one note if you're looking for any themes. Although, you know, obviously, as we've talked about, your mileage may vary on that. But super entertaining. Enjoyed it. I mean, it, you know, certainly transcends um horror i think it would be enjoyable to folks who aren't horror fans i will also give it the appraisal of a view it <laughs> um and i i do that with some reluctance because i th- think this is more of a cue it movie in that like if you don't watch it it's not the end of the world and i'm sure i've given better movies cue it's on this show before but i'm not trying to be consistent i'm just I enjoyed it. It held my attention throughout. It wasn't perfect, but I thought the art stuff was extremely interesting and just kind of getting a glimpse into that world, whether or not it was exaggerated, I don't know. And then also, like I said, it's left me thinking about it and and giving me some meat to chew on. And I don't want to make the mistake we might have made with Cam, where like we all gave it cuets, and then a few days later, we're like, oh man, still, th- still thinking about that one. <laughs> you know? I was not thinking about my rating, though. 
So, no. So, I mean, the other thing I will throw in is that, I mean, and I, I sort of touched on this already, but just it's so unique. It's one of a kind. You know, I mean, it, it may be a little slight in terms of like the actual experience you have when you're done with it, but I think it just. The, the fact that, you know, you've never seen a movie like this. <laughs> There's not really a, an easy benchmark for this movie, and you're probably not going to see one like it again. I, you know, I appreciate anything that can give me a fresh experience in that way. Yeah, I think that's well said. And a great cast, which, you know, we yeah. mentioned in passing, but great performances and, and a fun cast. Good to see all these actors working. Mm-hmm. Steven? I'm not nearly as enthusiastic about this one as you guys are. I'll give it a cue it. I found this movie to be more than a little bit of a mess, albeit a very fun one. I think it was a failure, but a fascinating one. Enjoy the cast. I think it's well-directed, aside from some very kind of dodgy and unnecessary CGI in places that I guess we can talk about in the spoiler room. I I think I may may have exaggerated saying there's not really another movie like this. Like, I think there are movies, there are certainly other films that, like, kind of come close to this tonal balance. It just it didn't work for me, but I think it was. I'm glad I saw it. It's it's an. I admire the experiment, and I'm curious to see what uh, your boy Dan Gilroy does next, Chris. He's not my boy. <laughs> he's my boy. Yeah. Although actually, he's made some. He's made some weird shit too. He like co-wrote Real Steel, like the Hugh Jackman robot uh, boxing that was movie. A fun, if he co-wrote that movie. I didn't see I, it actually. I just didn't hear. It phenomenal things i mean it was fine it was it was exactly what you'd expect it was fine and then i was also surprised to see that he i think wrote and directed the movie that denzel was nominated for best actor for like last year fences no 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 (laughs) no he did not write fences the iconic american play um no uh something roman something esquire Oh, the yeah. movie was not supposed to be very good, but then Denzel somehow got a best actor. Roman J. Israel. Esquire. Roman J. Israel. There you go. Yeah. Um, and I had no idea he was involved in that. Oh, I, he also wrote Kong Skull Island. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. And he's, he's quite the, a versatile writer. He's the brother of Tony Gilroy, who did most of the Bourne movies and um, Michael Clayton, one of Chris's favorite oh, movies. God, fuck Michael Clayton. Love Michael Clayton. All right, should we go to the fucking spoiler room? Oh, holy shit. Hold the fucking oh phone. Oh, God. No, no. no you don't get time. to have your iPad on this show. No, anymore. hold on. Dan Gilroy is married to Rene Russo. Oh, that's right. Oh, I knew that. I knew that. Damn. Well, in any event, it's good to see her on the screen. Yeah, great to see her on the screen. Well, should we go stick our arms in the spoiler sphere? Yeah, let's stick our arms in the spoiler sphere. So, hey, see go, what sensations we feel. Go check out Velvet Buzzsaw if you want to, or just stick around. And when you come back, or when we come back, rather, we're going to spoil everything. All right, welcome back. We got our arms in this spoiler sphere, feeling all the tingles. It was that sphere was the most enticing sphere committed to film since Sphere in in 1997. I would say since Phantasm. 
Haven't you guys seen haven't seen one. Phantasm. No. Well, fuck you. Well, I'm talking about Michael Crichton over here. I know. Yeah, okay. We should explain the sphere, though, because for people who haven't watched this, they have no idea what the fuck we're talking about. So there's this giant sphere. Um, well, at this point, they should, they should be watching it and not listening to us because we gave it a very favorable review. Well, they should. They yeah, stuck why around. are you even listening to this? They don't have yeah, Netflix. They want to know dummies. what happens in the movie. That's why we have the spoiler room. So if you don't have Netflix, you can vicariously watch the movie through our bullshit. Yeah, but Steven is saying that no one should be listening to this because we all recommended it. So, so I mean, the first thing you can explain the sphere, but it basically it's basically the thing that everyone takes pictures of in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, it looks like the bean. Yeah, <laughs> except it's a sphere, and it's much smaller than the bean. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a six foot, eight foot tall, giant silver sphere. It's reflective. There, are, I think, four holes are scattered around it, and the idea is that you put your arm inside a hole and you experience some sort of mysterious sensation and everybody is just thrilled some people certainly seem to have a sexual response to it and the reason that i guess we're we've waited to talk about it in the spoiler room is because wait who gets killed it's tony, 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 tony collette gets killed so, by yeah yes yeah so we this is basically how the spoiler room is going to be today we're just going to tell you how all these celebrities die <laughs> <laughs> she sticks her arm in and it chops her fucking arm off and then she bleeds out and oh this that was, was something. the part this i was laughed what out I laughed loud at. at that yeah. was the part i laughed because out loud they at. don't realize the next morning that she's not part of the art it's, exhibit yeah. that her corpse is not part of the art exhibit and like they don't figure it out until a group of school kids walks through they don't her even blood figure it out then they only figure it out when her like intern shows up and screams like halfway through the day yeah um and until then the people are just going by and school kids are like playing in the blood because they think it's yeah. all part of the installation I hilarious mean, i mean a a personality rorschach test if i've ever seen one before is whether or not you laugh at this part of the movie but i laugh my ass off the <laughs> me and eli roth laugh our asses off <laughs> <laughs> don't know what that says <laughs> but i mean the funny part the the joke is that these artists and, and art pieces are all striving for some sort of provocative social statement that a dead woman laying on the floor bleeding out is just of a piece with everything else that we've seen in the movie that's why it was funny oh i mean me. I, I got the joke <laughs> no i'm just explaining why it was funny and why i would differentiate it from an eli roth's style gore joke oh no i that wasn't my my joke was just that eli roth and i are psychopaths so that's why we <laughs> responded with oh, laughter right. yeah no it, it was that was good shit that was good shit oh yeah all right so who's next on the chopping block who next who who next got got worked um, oh another thing that i fucking loved was when morph realizes jake Hall realizes that his girlfriend has been cheating on him with david diggs and david diggs is just in the kitchen like fucking making breakfast and like watching jake Hall and the the other woman whose name i forget um kind of hash this out david diggs is just like standing there like casually grinding pepper like watching the two of them argue and grinding pepper is like my new term for eating popcorn now because he's just kind of like i mean he is the source of this conflict and he's just like okay grinding pepper yeah well jake gyllenhaal gets <laughs> oh my god <laughs> tough crowd tonight i just I, there have been so many moments on this cast where i've said something you guys both just like stare at me with dead eyes and i mean say i have nothing. no idea what you're talking about i don't remember that scene i remember the scene i just don't really know uh, what to say about it because i mean yeah, it was a scene in the movie. I really, it was there. It was humorous, like you said. I mean, you don't have to say anything. That's the kind of stuff where, like, there's a lot of stuff going on with the relationships of the characters and everything like that, where I'm like, I want there to be more to that under the surface. I want this 
there to be more meaning in, in some of this stuff, but mm. I think you guys are right. I think it's just a simple, simple ass movie with like one or two things to say, and it says them in the first couple scenes and <laughs> just kind of reiterates it for the mm-hmm. rest of the movie. Which, you know, again, isn't to say it's not fun. So Jake Gyllenhaal gets killed by Hobo Man. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Yeah. Hobo, which they actually set that up and pay it off because Hobo Man is actually put into storage. I think because of Jake Gyllenhaal's review, right? Mm. I don't remember. That makes that, sense. But. I I think I think he wrote yeah because he, when he's looking at Hobo Man, I think he's getting pressured by someone like a dealer oh, or yeah. a manager to give him a favorable review. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm my own guy. Fuck you. I'm not your mouthpiece. Whatever. Yeah, that's exactly what he right. Says. And then so he writes his poor review so no one gives a shit about hobo man so they have to put him into storage happens to be the same storage locker where they have a whole bunch of d's paintings that we jake gyllenhaal decides needs to be destroyed so he goes back to the storage locker and hobo man ends up killing him i was kind of surprised at that because again jake gyllenhaal's ostensibly the star of the movie He's the only character really that understands the transgressions that the art world has made against art and wants to do something about it, and he just gets killed like everybody else. And really, nobody really learns the errors of their ways and survives. The only person who survives is Coco, the little secretary from oh, yeah. Michigan. <laughs> Fucking what's her name from uh, Stranger Things, who I have a huge crush on. And she's great in this. I like her a lot. Um, Natalia Dyer plays... Uh, yeah, I don't remember her name. Coco. Stranger Things. Oh, no, oh, I was trying to remember uh, her character Things. name on Stranger I couldn't Things. I really understand. People have seen that. Do you guys have any theories on why she survived? Because, because she's, she's pure of heart. She's like the only non-asshole in this movie. I don't know, though. But, I mean, what? she's kind of in the thick of she's it. She's kind of guilty by association. Right. But she doesn't do anything reprehensible. Yeah, she's just like... She's just uh, trying to make her way in L.A., trying not to have to go back to Michigan. That was another line I laughed my yeah. ass off at when she's like... If I don't find steady work soon, I'm going to have to move back to Michigan because <laughs> we're all from Michigan. So that that was real. That was real. What an awful fate. <laughs> Rene Russo's death was my favorite. We don't have to yeah. go in order, do we? I was hoping we were we were getting that. I mean, it's basically the final scene. Yeah, that's basically the final scene. Of the she movie. was in a she was in a punk band, apparently a very important punk band called Velvet Buzzsaw, and in she has youth. a tattoo of I their would, logo. I will interrupt for a second. I was wondering if that was like based on what she says of the band, if it was like a reference to a band, like was she describing another popular like two women punk group? Like, was that the joke? I don't. Was it like, or I don't think. You know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying. You're, to think you're of asking word. if there was, if it was like a thinly veiled reference to an actual group, right? I, not that I'm I aware don't of. think so. I no. mean, like, I think we can all sort of conjure in our mind bands that fit that description. Yeah. Several of them. So yeah, I mean, I think he was trying to create sort of an all-purpose character who you know relied on some sort of counterculture cachet in their youth, and then basically. You know, or or had an act that was more aesthetic than it actually had something, you know, an intellectual statement to make, and then just she went on to continue to uh, be a take advantage person. of of what's that to be a spreadsheet person, basically. Sure, to take advantage of art for her own monetary and personal gain. I'm I'm glad that we we found a little layer there to peel back. That's good. Speaking of peeling back layers, though, what happens to her? Well, she's got a tattoo of the band's logo on her neck. It's a it's a buzz saw with a little bit of 
blood on the edge of it and the name of the band velvet buzzsaw tattooed in red and it begins to turn and animate and drills a fucking hole in her neck which and i had a great that, experience that i laughed at i had I a mean. great experience with that scene because there's this one d's painting in her house that's like it's kind of a vague and slightly ominous image of a woman and a cat sitting side by side and there's a shadow approaching them and you just can kind of see it coming that that's probably going to be renee russo and her cat at some point like we're going to see that shot recreated and something's going to happen to her and before it even happened i was like you know because so many different forms of art in this movie have taken life and caused carnage i'm like oh that fucking tattoo is going to come to life and i was envisioning like a final shot of that saw just like starting to spin and a little like blood starting to run from the back of her neck and then going to credits like that just very vividly came into my head before it started but this saw full-on fires up and the back of her neck just explodes in a tornado of blood and i think it might have been better as you just said chris if if they took the more subtle approach but i loved the extraordinarily over the top approach that it took anyway yeah i needed that that i enjoyed it steven kind of took me to the took me to the spoiler room a little early on that because you said there's an image of the buzzsaw that is seared into my mind so i'm watching this movie i'm like there's no buzzsaw in this movie there's no and then like renee russo starts getting rid of her art and i'm like oh it's the tattoo is gonna get her Mm -hmm. Um, yeah sorry it's okay you didn't ruin it why does she have a cgi siamese cat is, is that it CGI, CGI or do yeah. they just look like that? No, it's definitely CGI. It's not Siamese, though. That's uh, what a, they call it, Egyptian hairless or something. One of those ugly-ass cats that's only good for giving tattoos. That is CGI? To. Yeah. I kid, I kid. I don't, don't give cat tattoos to cats. I, I can't say that What are you stuff. talking about, tattoos? I said it's one of those ugly cats that you can only, it's only good for giving tattoos to. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but said, don't do that. I'm joking. Don't okay. do that. Anyway, that was just kind of mind-boggling to me because the cat doesn't really serve any purpose whatsoever. It doesn't really, like, interact well, with I, humans. I, I, Patrick might be onto something where, like, because the cat does lure her out of the house and she almost gets killed by the sculpture in her yard. Oh, yeah. So maybe they're trying to, it's there as, like, a red herring to make you think that it's going to be related to the painting and the, the cat's going to kill her and then she narrowly escapes death. And then she narrowly escapes death again by getting rid of all of her art. She forgot to get the little, uh, you know, tattoo removal, though. Um, so yeah. At least lays down, lays her down the, the edges of that saw. So it's just <laughs> spinning, but not, not doing anything. <laughs> and our final scene is John Malkovich's character, who we haven't really talked about much. But we kind of get the idea that he may be the second most pure person in this film after coco like he seems to be an artist who's just trying to make art and isn't like trying to play the fucking money and popularity and game the commercial and is kind of drawn dragged into it by everybody else yeah and then it, i mean it's presented with no degree of subtlety that <laughs> his involvement in the commercial art world has ruined his mojo and that he can't make the art he used to make. right and so someone who tells him to go like tony collette i think or maybe renee russo it, yeah i forget somebody tells him to just like go i forget what the quote is but they tell him basically go take a vacation and just make whatever you want to make right on your own timetable but um, I, I think it's renee russo who says that and because she's actually his manager at that point mm-hmm. and i think she wants him to go off and make something great yeah so that then she can sell it right but you know make it for yourself buddy yeah you know don't worry don't worry about the commercial world but yeah. her bottom line is she she wants him to make something that she can sell 
Which and makes it, it interesting what he actually does. Yeah, because at the end, our final shot, and it's a cool shot, just an overhead shot. Well, I think it's I th- like on the credits. It's like the movie's yeah. over by that point. I think the credits have started to roll by the time you yeah. can see this image. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a crane shot, I guess. It starts like or a, a medium drone shot, shot on him. We, we don't use it, cranes anymore. And then it like kind of floats up into the air, and you see this overhead shot of him just with a huge stick, just drawing like swirls on the beach and he's just drawn this huge elaborate pattern across the beach and of course the waves are already washing it away which you know a little on the nose as far as you know the only great art is not going to last and you're not going to be able to sell it i think is the the moral of that little story i I, I think the moral is similar i don't know if it's exactly that but the idea that the irony in that he was sent away to make something to sell and he found peace making something that can't be sold. Mm-hmm. Although you never know if Banksy did that shit, they would find a way to preserve it and pull it off the beach. <laughs> Banksy would find a way to. Yeah. And somebody would pay a shitload of money for it. Yeah. But right before that, there's the scene where, you know, Coco's getting out of town, going back to like the airport, moving back to Michigan, and she sees people selling these paintings oh, yeah. on the street. Now, this is what's interesting to me. I mm-hmm. thought that was the final shot. That is the final shot of the movie, basically. And then it cuts to credits, and then it cuts and then to Malkovich. Malkovich. Okay. So, um, where do they get the these paintings from that they're selling on the street? Um, I think they found. Uh, there's some there in the wild. Didn't, didn't they find some of the ones that were left over from when the dude's truck blew yeah, up? Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. that's it. Yeah. So these guys are selling them on the street, and there's like you know like a, a couple walking, and they buy one for five dollars, which is funny because we've literally seen these you know how these are going for millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if the these paintings are going to bring doom to the couple that buys it for five dollars. I don't think so. I don't think so either. He the paintings were like infused with hatred and malevolence for the art world. Like that 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 was like baked into them like they were made as, as sort of like as a spell. I think in the right hands they might only spark joy. But uh, <laughs> but also Dees wanted them to be destroyed. He willed that they be destroyed and he was trying to destroy them himself. So to me, though, there was I, I didn't feel like the people who bonded at the end were the right hands either. There was something to me, and maybe I was just reading it in, but the guy who was selling it was a person of color. I forget if he was, you know, if he appeared to be Latino or yeah. I think he was Latino. I think so. Um, and the, the couple was obviously a middle class or, you know, probably middle class white couple. And there was sort of an air of condescension to, oh, you know, look at this man on the street selling this charmingly rough hewn art five dollars what a deal let's take it home you know i don't know it may have been me reading into it but i detected a lot of just sort of condescension from those characters there didn't seem to be a ton of appreciation for the work coming from them and i i don't mean just in contrast with the jake gyllenhaal appreciation that's maybe too much but just not really a they seem, yeah, they seem to be a novelty for them. Yeah. So I don't know if how the ghost of D's would feel about that. Well, and I mean, it seemed to be a novelty to them, but to to the guys on the paintings, like it's just a commodity. It's just a means yeah. to an end. He doesn't care about the art either. Yeah, and I mean, I think that probably ties into the broader theme that I would apply to the Malkovich scene at the end, which is that the only great art doesn't get sold. Basically, the basic act of selling it or making it to be sold 
I don't want to say cheapens it because that's also a, a financial term, <laughs> basically. But you know what I'm saying, right? Maybe that's why this movie is available for free on Netflix. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it was the New York Times or maybe New Yorker review of this that I read made some very arch, very morph-like comment about how uh, one of the multiple accredited co-writers of Kong Skull Island doesn't have too much right to be commenting on artistic purity, but. Mm. Um, I thought that was a pretty good movie. Kong? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a banger. I had a lot of fun with that. But I mean... But know, is it art? Yeah, the the point being, it's uh, not... Uh, well, not, uh, not, yeah. not an auteur. <laughs> not a work of auteurship. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think you need to live your life in artistic purity, too. It's like the, Patrick and I were having a conversation about La La Land this week. It's like... Again? <laughs> we have a conversation about La La Land every week. Uh, I mean, listen, we've been litigating The Dark Knight since it came out, yeah, like, true. 11 years ago. So. That's actually, like, why we have a podcast. Because, like, Patrick and I would argue about The Dark Knight every day. And then we started to see movies in the theaters and argue about them every day. Like, when you were doing your film critic stuff and i was like you know what we should just like go out to like an applebee's and record ourselves talking shit and arguing about these movies how am i how far we've come hey we should still do that we should still we should record amon sometime in an applebee's and just like have the no ruby tuesday ruby tuesday yeah ruby tuesday just have the interruptions from the waitress and Ask ask the random waitress. Hey, Rebe- have you seen Clinical <laughs> Rebecca? Yeah, <laughs> it'll be it'll be our version of making the the drawings in the sand. Yeah, That's going to be yeah. our artistically pure creation. Is <laughs> is doing Amon at Applebee's? <laughs> All right, what the, what the fuck are we watching next? Wait, am I done? No, we were talking about La La Lands. Oh, oh right, yeah, sorry, because, yeah, because, big detour. Be- because you know I, we were talking about whether. Um, we were talking about the points of view on like legitimate art in that movie and, and what point of view the director subscribes to. And I don't know. I think that you can promote an ideal of how the art world should be. I don't think it makes you a hypocrite to still engage with the art world as it is. That's all I got to say about that. I'm sorry. I, I got completely I just distracted very, because I have to leave in like 10 minutes. I just, so. made a very sm- yeah, I just made a very smart point. You did. Do you want to rehash no, it or... I no, wish no. I could respond to it. I'm no, sorry. No, we're I was done. Literally paying no attention. We're done. We're done. Chris is pissed. No, anything else you want to say about Buzzsaw? All right. All right. Well, you want to know what we're watching next time, guys? Yeah, yes, what are we watching? Tell us. Tell us, Daddy. Don't call Chris Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. All right. Well, we're going to Vietnam to watch Conjuring Spirit. Oh, that just sounds... The fuck is that? It's a Vietnamese horror movie. Oh. In the wake of her husband's betrayal, a novelist and mother moves to an old building where she receives a music box and encounters a strange spirit. Wow. Okay, I'm 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 curious. I don't it's, know if I've ever seen a Vietnamese film before. It's TVMA, so... How long is it? <laughs> an hour and 52 minutes. Damn it! <laughs> yeah. Better be good. So that'll be fun. We'll, uh... We'll fill you in on that one in two weeks. So go check it out, maybe, or just wait two weeks and we'll tell you if you should have checked it out. That's it for every <laughs> horror movie on Netflix. Uh, you know, as always, find us online if you want. Tell us you like us. We like that stuff. We just want to be liked. Yep. Until then, for every horror movie on Netflix, I'm Chris. I'm Patrick. I'm Steven. See you next time. Bye.